0: Good morning, you guys. Uh, this is the eleven o'clock service. I don't know if you were thinking about the nine thirty; you missed that, but you're fine. If people come in toward the end of this hour, don't make them feel bad. They they missed the time change, but you made it and you're here, and I'm grateful that you're here. If you're a guest, thanks for being here as a guest. I appreciate uh, having John Tracy. John, as he said, was an elder here. And we asked him to leave the corporate world. He was uh, very successful in the Northwestern Mutual. And uh, he, he left there and came and joined our staff as the executive minister. Just too much going on for me to keep eyes on with four campuses and a growing recovery ministry and our Haiti mission, all that stuff. Uh, I appreciate John. If you remember, we had Brian Dillon and then Steve Harley left our Taze Valley campus. So Brian went back to Taze Valley as the campus minister. And speaking of Taze Valley, uh, let's go to Beckley first because I've got pictures. uh, I think you can see the campuses. Our Beckley campus is doing great. We've got some great momentum. Beckley moved in last week. They moved into their next largest space. As you can see, that's the Raleigh County Convention Center. That's where we meet. And they moved into the next bigger space and the, last Sunday they already exceeded the percentage we like for, uh, so they, out, they were out of space the first Sunday they were in there. So what that actually means is they need to set out more chairs and open up one more uh, uh, sliding curtain to have a little bit more space. So Beckley campus is, is doing great. Yeah, <clears throat> great momentum going there. Our Taze Valley campus, led by Brian Dillon, our Taze Valley campus, we recently received word, it's been over a year that uh, that we, we can remodel the student ministry module, modular, that we acquired over a year ago. You see our children's ministry, there's so many young families at our Taze Valley campus, and the, and the facility, you know, is not as big as this one. But the children's ministry has moved, has grown out of their space, and, and they're trying to kick the students out of their space, and so we're for that because we want to keep the kids in the main building, but in order to do that, we have to have space for students. So we got this modular, should have had a picture of it, but it's not worth, it's not picture worthy right now. And actually, we were getting complaints from the neighbors, <clears throat> but it took uh, Putnam County Planning Commission over a year. We finally got word that we got the green light on that, and that uh, modular for student ministry is going to look have the same kind of look as this. And that's good news. So things are happening uh, at our uh, Taze Valley campus that we're continuing to grow. Yes. Last service, I announced that our Marmette campus... Uh, we're, about to, we're about to make some changes there. The end of the summer, we're going to have a vacation Bible school leading into some changes that we're going to be making, drastic changes. These are big changes for Marmette. Marmette, as you know, is an older church, older folks dying, and they, they, they didn't want to see that happen. I just so admire them so much. Instead of digging their heels in the ground saying, we're not going to change, we're going to keep doing things the way we're doing, which would have led to their death, and who knows what happened? They gave their property to Gateway. They are now a Gateway Christian Church, Marmot campus. And the end of the summer we're going to be making some drastic changes there uh, to uh, reach some of that community. Now the Marmette community <clears throat> is uh, just a small West Virginia community. There's a lot of problems there. There's a lot of drug addiction. There's, there's a lot of issues. And, uh, you know, there's poverty there. Uh, Just just drive by the uh, elementary school up there, and you'll have a heart for those families. We just want to help them. And so we announced this morning that we have finally found a campus minister and that's just someone to lead the charge to champion that campus and to make sure it's doing what it needs to do in order to grow and implement uh, who we are as a church and so we named we asked and he accepted and we named our very own dennis mosley you know dennis he's our facilities guy he's our facilities guy He's the one that scrubs toilets and, uh, you know, with his team and, and mops floors, but I've always said Dennis has wasted potential. He's working on a master's degree. He is leading, leading our recovery ministry, and that's going to grow, and Dennis has agreed to be the campus minister at, at Marmette, and I think it's going to be a great combination, and so recovery community is actually going to help us in that area. So I'm really excited about the changes happening in our church and the momentum we have Now, speaking of momentum, we have 400 names now. 400 people have written a name, and you can still do that today. Yeah, 400 souls that we're standing in the gap for. Yeah, either clap or don't. Come on. Uh, So, uh, 400 souls we're standing in the gap for. These are lost people or people who have left the fold. They're out there in the world, and they're on your heart. They're on your mind. Now, that's 400 across the church, not just this campus. 400 souls that we want to see come back to the Lord, come back to to Jesus, come back to the fold, uh, or maybe for the first time. So 400 is a great number. I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's going to do. And if you're still not sure about your one, if you're still thinking about it, maybe you have analysis paralysis you're trying to analyze who's going to be the best one for you, kind of look at it, uh, you know, like pick the low-hanging fruit first. Who is most likely to come? Who is most likely to hear you? Who's most receptive to your faith and to your inviting them to church and inviting them to a relationship with Jesus? Do that first. It's kind of like Dave Ramsey, you know, he says, since we were talking finances, when you have debt, you pay the smallest one off first. And then whatever you were paying on that, you... Take that amount and you add it to your second highest debt, or lowest debt, rather. You pay the low ones, lowest hanging fruit first, pay those off, take what you were paying here and add it to what you were paying here, and then add that to what you were paying here. That's called a debt snowball. That's how you pay off your debt. You got to commit to not spending that money in other places. You're going to keep applying it to debt. Well, What we're talking about here is a prayer snowball. It's a prayer snowball. You might think, well, I don't know which of these three to pray for, Get the low-hanging fruit, pray for that one, get them in, and go for the next one. It's a prayer snowball. We invented that. Prayer snowball. All right? So if you see that out there anywhere else, we invented that, and we're going to have to uh, tweet that. Where's Karen Shea? We need to get that down. We have lots of good momentum. Now, we're in Matthew 13 today. If you have a Bible, you want to turn to Matthew 13, I encourage you to do that on your smartphone. I'm going to have some scripture behind me. Matthew 13 is where this series started, Pray for One. And if you're, if you're here for the first time or you're not sure, Pray for One is simply our evangelistic effort, something everybody can do. We're not asking you to get up and preach a sermon or give a homily or uh, sing a song. We're asking you to do something God has given all of us the ability to do, and that's pray, pray for one. Bo Chansey, the preacher in uh, New Hampshire, wrote a book many years ago. We picked this book up several years ago. We decided to keep this idea for a sermon series. Now, we're not using his book in any way for sermons or anything like that, maybe a quote or two, but we're using that idea, pray for one. And can you imagine what God can do through us, through one church, through one person, to reach some lost person, somebody out there that You have a circle of relationship with it you can reach. Pray for one. And so this series started in Matthew 13 with the zero sermon, and it was the idea that the strategy of the kingdom is to plant seeds, and seeds take time, and and they, they take patience and persistence to see them come to full fruition Now, this is the last sermon in this series for now. We will pick this up again later in the year. This is another sermon to answer the question, why? Why should I pray for one? We've, We've explained what we're doing. We've explained how to do it. Now we're answering the question, why? We've talked about where. All those interrogative questions, reporter questions. Why are we doing this? Last week, we answered the question, why? But I wanted to do it in two sermons from Matthew 13. I want to tell you, we live in a world that is antagonistic to our values. We live in a culture that wants to relegate Christianity to the side and call it old-fashioned, out-of-touch, unreasonable, narrow-minded, bigoted, And other words, worse than those. We live in that kind of culture. If you haven't experienced that, then I'm going to challenge you to start living your faith a little bit more publicly. And that means your social media, that means that your job, that means that your recreation, you just mention the name Jesus and how you are holding on to him and you're going to get some pushback. So, we need to pray for one because the world is against us the world's against us but we remember the passage greater is he who is in you in us than he that is in the world you remember that it's in first john so last week we talked about a motivation a why and we said really there's one big reason why we need to pray for one and that is because judgment day is coming We believe in the literal, physical return of Jesus to the earth to judge the living and the dead. Judgment day is coming, folks. Every every day is pointing toward one great day. Judgment day is coming. And I don't know if Christians today have gotten out of touch with that or we've kind of forgot about that. There were scoffers and mockers in the first century who doubted his return, and no doubt 19, 20 centuries later, there are people who say, yeah, right, but I live my life and you should live your life with that truth that Jesus is coming back. Judgment day is coming and you and me and your one and my one and Gomer and Laura Lee Hobbs down at the diner, we're all gonna be here to meet him when he comes. Thank you, Jill, I'm glad you got that. And so we need to be ready, don't we? We need to be ready. Last week from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that verse that says, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done while in the body, whether good or bad. We pictured, and it might not be the right picture, but it is a picture that I have in my mind of uh, multiple lines lining up all of humanity, all of of humanity living and dead will line up there and the judgment seat of Christ is there and perhaps there's angels filtering through the lines and you look across and you see your one standing over there and he's got a terrified look on his face because for some reason you didn't take this seriously or you, you kind of let it get past you or you got too busy, spring was coming and you had other things to do and your life was out there and, and, and you, just, you just left your one alone. And so he's got a look of terror on his face because he knows what's happening at the front of the line. There's a great separation of the sheep and the goats, the, the, the good and the bad, and uh, those who are being cast out of his presence are going to spend an eternity with, uh, with torment in hell with the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, hell doesn't scare people today because we live in the 21st century, and we watch TV shows that are a whole lot more scarier than we think hell is. But let me tell you, this is this is more than a TV show. This is more serious than any, any movie you might watch. This is reality TV. This is what's going to happen. And unless we get the gospel to the people around us in our circles, I'm not talking about the people of Ukraine or Russia or even Haiti. I'm talking about the people right here in America, right here in live right close to you let's start here let's pray for them and if they're unreceptive to our attempts if they're unreceptive to our prayers if if they don't want to have anything to do with the gospel we have the model in Matthew chapter 10 I believe it is where Jesus said shake the dust off your feet and get on down the road somebody's going to listen and so uh, judgment day is coming, and we got to be ready for that. That's why we need to pray for one. That's kind of like a slap in the back of the head. You know, when I was in church, as a kid in church, oftentimes I would sit in front of, in the row in front, and it took me years to figure out I need to stop doing this, sit in the row in front of my parents or my mother and my grandparents, because oftentimes i get this slap in the back of the head. You know, maybe she thought I was sleeping, or uh, and I and I realized that if you could stack up enough hymnals, you know, you could put your uh, elbow on it and and your head wouldn't bob, you know. But uh, she, we don't. That's why we took hymnals out, by the way, so you didn't have those to sleep in. I'm kidding about that. But uh, that's kind of a slap in the head motivation. This one is a little bit softer today, a little bit, a little bit softer, but none, none uh, the less very encouraging and compelling Matthew 13 two parables we're going to look at today first one's in verse 44 Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field Now, let's remember that here in Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, the nature of the kingdom of God. And then he's telling parables that relate to the kingdom. And he's already told uh, parables of the sower a sower that sowed seeds in many places, then a sower who the enemy came in and sabotaged the field with weeds, the zizania weeds. And now he's talking here, and there's parables I'm not even covering in Matthew 13 that that give us some insight into the kingdom of God. And in this parable, he seems to indicate that the kingdom is like a treasure that's hidden. In other words, it's not like the 45-carat hope diamond on display at the Smithsonian Natural History Museum in Washington, D.C. Has anybody seen that? The Hope Diamond, quite a sight to see, and it's not even as big as it used to be. They passed through the centuries and been cut and hidden in all sorts of things. No, the kingdom of heaven is not like that. It is a treasure hidden in a field, and only some people have discovered it, and some haven't, Matthew 7, 14 says. Jesus said, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. In this parable, there's a man who stumbles upon the treasure. Maybe he's been hired to plow the field, and about halfway through the job, his plow all of a sudden hits something solid, which he assumes is a rock, and it kind of comes to a sudden stop, and so he's a little bit annoyed at first probably. And so he goes around, pulls the plow back and gets down on his hands and knees and begins to move the dirt so he can take the rock out so he can finish the job. But to his surprise, it's not a rock. It's a box. It is a box. And when he When he cracks open the box, it is full of treasure. It's gold and silver and jewelry pieces and so much in there that it just blows his mind. And he quickly covers the box. I mean, this is the box that Rick and Marty Lagina would love to find on Oak Island, right? I mean, I just keep waiting for them to find that box, I mean, they're teasing me every episode. I want to see them find that, that box. I just wanted the thing to come up and jewels to be dripping out of it. Well, that's what this guy has, and he knows immediately that uh, this box is valuable. In fact, he, he, didn't, uh, he didn't lay it all out and appraise the value. He knew it was just at first glance more valuable than anything he owned and everything he owned. And so with great joy, don't miss that. You can read this parable and miss this. With great joy, he goes and sells everything he has. He goes home, he puts a sign up that says yard sell. He sells everything he's got and the yard and the house. And then in great joy, he goes and gets that cashier's check I'm sure his neighbors were confused because most people who liquidate all their assets are bankrupt, they're having to pay off debt. Most people uh, aren't smiling like this man was smiling when they, when they have to get rid of everything. I mean, you're, you're selling that, you're selling your clubs, you're selling your, your, your wife's uh, washer and dryer. You're, man, I'm, we're selling everything today, selling everything, it all must Go. You know, you go to the beach and you see uh, 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 going, uh, what's it, going out of business sell, except they kind of made that little twist and they say, because that's a lie. They're not going out of business. They'll be there next year going out for business sell. Going out for business sell. But this guy was going out of business because he was going to have something he knew was more valuable than anything else and everything else he had. And again, note that he did not have time to lay the treasure, each piece out on a box or out of the box on on the ground in some way to appraise it. But the day's coming when he'll be able to do that. And when he does that, he'll be glad he sold everything he had to own the field, to own the box, whatever it took. The second parable is similar, Luke 45, Luke, uh, verse 45, rather, Matthew 13, 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, this is a parable of a merchant, a merchant who was searching for the perfect pearl, and no doubt he had searched a long time. I think that's the implication here. He's been searching a long time, and he hasn't had any luck, but he's still searching. Now, when I was a kid, I had the view, this parable I had in my mind, this view that this guy was deep-sea diving, and that he was walking the beach shore, the beach line, picking up shells, cracking them open to see if he had a pearl. You know, that's, if you didn't know, pearls are made by a grain of sand that gets into the shell of an oyster, and it becomes an irritant. And instead of kicking it out, he transforms it into something beautiful, a pearl. There's a whole sermon right there, isn't there? <clears throat> what God can do with the pain in our lives. But we'll save that for another day. And so I instead, I believe... This guy is not scouring the beach or deep sea diving. I think he's kind of like those uh, guys on American Pickers. You watch that show, American Pickers, where these guys get the call that somebody in Podunk Town has a garage full of old junk and they're willing to part with it. You seen this show? It's a great show. And they go and they, they end up you know, having to step through and move stuff. And these guys, they have an eye for what's valuable. And they might see an old Coca Cola <clears throat> um, uh, machine, or they might see a sign, or they, they might see some jewelry or a motorcycle, and they'll spend thousands and thousands of dollars to have these things. I mean, it's incredible. You know, they'll, they'll buy this old stuff that's way back in the back of the barn that's been back there for 50 years that grandpa had and pass it down to uh, his son, and, and now his son, who has sons, you know, he's getting ready to, to go, and they got to get rid of this stuff. And so, um, uh, you know, they find it and they, they realize what they've got. And just by the way, if you got a bunch of old stuff at your house, uh, get rid of it because your kids aren't going to know what to do with it. They're, they're going to get rid of it. They're, gonna, they're just going to sell it or give it away. And you know, it's worth something. Sell it and uh, bring the money to the church like they did in the book of Acts. It's a good idea, isn't it? I thought it was, but some of you didn't. Or keep it and go to Disney World, whatever you want, but it's going to take everything you have to go to Disney World, by the way. And so this this merchant, you know, that's what QG and he's a merchant. He's going from store to store, from town to town, and he's examining these little uh, mom and pop jewelry stores, and he's got a trained eye, he knows a valuable pearl, and one day to his surprise, he, he finds it. And it's what we have referred to as the pearl of great price. Sometime if you get a, an opportunity, you should ask Karen Shay or Taylor what happened recently to her sister. They basically, I'll tell you the story, but she can tell it better. They, her sister had a, an old guitar under the bed. This is Karen Shea who just led worship, she and Taylor. Had an old guitar under the bed. And we're gonna throw it out, maybe throw it out, or maybe just put it back in the closet. And they asked Taylor what it was worth, and he said, Oh, this is whatever it was, and it's worth something. And now her sister and her sister and her brother in law have six figure offers on that guitar. (laughs) Isn't that cool? Wouldn't you like to find something like that in your grandparents' house or your, your own house? And so that's what they found. That's what this man found. And he, just like the man in the field, knew it was so valuable. It was worth everything he had. He went and sold all he had to own that pearl. Now, the application of these parables is pretty easy for us to understand. We live on this side of the cross. We have the church. We have the written word. We have the Holy Spirit. Listen, folks, we cannot play ignorant on judgment day. You can't play that game with God. He has given this generation more access to the word of God than any generation has ever known. And you carry the word in your pocket. It's called a Bible app. Any version you want. You have the ability, and this is this is why it's not easy to be a preacher today, you have the ability to watch all the big time preachers anytime you want, listen to them, and glean from them anything and everything you want. I mean, there is no excuse for this generation to say, we didn't know, we didn't know. No, we know, and just so we know, let me explain my opinion, because I'm gonna tell you, there's two big scholarly opinions About these parables we read this morning. But in my opinion, uh, here's what I want to say about this. I believe, and the older I get, it becomes more and more evident that following Jesus has been worth every minute and every ounce of energy I have expended. The longer I live, the more he means to me. How marvelous! It is to be able to live with hope and purpose and meaning in this life. The old song says it gets sweeter as the days go by. You remember that song? I love that song. And let me tell you something else, and I think you'll agree with me. There's not one of us sitting in this building this morning who understands the full and immense value of what Jesus did for us at Calvary not one of us in here fully with everything understands the price he paid on Calvary we don't it's like it's kind of like a box of treasure we see it but we just don't know the full value of it but there's coming a day when we will understand and let me tell you <clears throat> I, I think of the word precious. I love that word. Oh, there's so many old songs that have that word in it. But it comes from the Bible, 1 Peter 2. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Back up a chapter in, first, in, in, sec, in 1 Peter. And this is the only place in the Bible where this word precious is used in this way. He says, You were ransomed from the futile or the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, because there's not enough of them, but with what? The precious blood of Christ. It's the only place you find that phrase in the Bible. That, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, it's precious. What Jesus offers to you and to me and to everybody else out there and to your one and my one is more precious than anything this world has to offer. If you don't believe that, then why you, what are you doing here? Why, why, are you, why are you doing this? I mean, you can't just do this half-heartedly. You, you can't just uh, say, you know, I'm just going to ride this wave until something better comes. You know, it's, it's an all or nothing thing with Jesus, and I'm afraid over the years somehow we've let Christians off the hook and said, hey, you don't have to change, you don't have to do too much, you know, just, uh, you just do this and this and you'll be okay. Well, I want to tell you, he, he, the old song says, I surrender all. And I don't think uh, we understand the full value <clears throat> of what we have, or else we would be surrendering all when we meet him face to face one day and we will i think i think we'll we'll start to understand it and we have eternity but it's 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 when we begin to lay out the treasures from the box and we see moments of his immense love and grace in our life and we we look back on our life and say man I, i how would i have made it without without him without his love without my church family moments of his steadfast goodness, moments that he spared our lives and we didn't even know it, moments when he had our back and we didn't even realize it, moments when he inspired us and gave us courage to get up again and to move forward, moments when he enabled us to do the impossible because with God, all things are possible. But the biggest moment, I think that's gonna give you pause as you look back across your life is the moment that he saved you because you didn't deserve it. No amount of riches, no amount of treasure, no amount of knowledge, no number of degrees, nothing would merit him saving you from the wrath of God. But he did. The Apostle Paul said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. In this life, we may know suffering and pain and death, but there's coming a day when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. In this life, we see a world torn by division and hatred and our roots intermingled with sin and corruption and temptation pulls us back. But there'll come a day when we will be liberated from sin into the kingdom of God. What a day that will be, oh, glorious day that will be. Now, before I finish, I want to I give you the two applications. They're two different applications. They each take a different one of these scholarly views on this passage. And honestly, I don't care which one you, you land on because I like them both. But here they are. Number one, Jesus is the treasure that you seek. He's the treasure that you seek. You are the man in the field. You are the merchant going from town to town. The kingdom of God is the treasure. The church is the treasure. Uh, Jesus is the treasure. And when we finally come to our senses and realize the value of him in our lives, we'll do whatever it takes to have him and whatever it takes to let others around us have him. The 17th century French philosopher and mathematician Blaise Pascal is credited with the saying, there is a God-shaped hole in the heart of each man which cannot be satisfied by any created thing but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. And so whatever you've been trying to fill that with, whatever your one has been trying to fill that with, whether it's the possessions that they have or the degrees they're searching for or sex or alcohol or drugs or relationships or whatever it is, there's still gonna be an empty cavern there because all of that together will not fill that hole. Only Jesus can fill that hole. A couple weeks ago, we reminded you that your one's greatest need is a spiritual need. But it's also your greatest need. Do you know how to reach your one? I mean, you're going to be praying. But do you know another way to reach your one? <clears throat> in your life, from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to sleep at night, demonstrate to your one how valuable Jesus is to you. Demonstrate that. Whatever that means. In your life, show what a treasure it is to have a relationship with Jesus. Show that in your life. Spare no expense to have him. Get rid of anything that prevents you from having that relationship. Notice that in both parables, the price for the treasure or the pearl was the same. What was it? it was everything. Sell everything you have, because that's what this is worth. Everything, anything, and then some. Thank God salvation is free, but following Jesus will cost you everything. Paul said, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing greatness of or worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Jesus is the treasure that you seek. Now there's another scholarly view that kind of paints it the other way. And it says that you are the treasure that Jesus seeks. And in keeping with the parables, you know, in the parable of the sower, and in the parable of the sower where the enemy came in and sabotaged the sower was representative of the son of man. So some people interpret these parables by saying, well, then the man in the parable or the merchant also represents the son of man. And then that would make the treasure what the son of man paid everything to have. You know, the Bible says he gave it all. He paid it all. And so that's okay. You can view it any way you want to. And now you're the treasure. And do you know how much he loves you and he loves your one? Do you know how much the Bible says Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? A love in the parable, both of them, that says they sold all they had. Jesus laid it all down on the line. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, several of you have told me that your one is a family member. Your one is a family member. So you could resonate with this. Your one is a treasure to you. And our hearts break when family members leave the fold, go outside the family of God, live in a way that disregards and disrespects the ways of God. That breaks our heart especially if it's a child, if it's a child. You know, I, I, I thank God every day, every single day, that my children love the Lord. It's a blessing. And in their life, demonstrate that. I count my blessings that my daughters married Christian men who love the Lord. It's a blessing. It's a blessing I don't take for granted, I don't take it lightly. It is an immense treasure to me to go to bed at night, knowing that if something happens to me, to their mother, my wife, to, to them, <clears throat> I will see them again in eternity. I realize that there are some of you who your one is a, a lost family member or someone who's left the fold, and you're in fear of, of their uh, of their of their future. You know the Bible says that that the Spirit explicitly says that some in later times will abandon the faith, and that's that's heartbreaking. This old world has a pull; it has uh, it has a way of tricking our, our our minds, especially the minds of young people, into believing that what the devil is offering is better than what God offers. And that is a lie, isn't it? And we have to counter that by demonstrating in our own life that what we have from Jesus is a treasure more valuable than anything in our lives and anything the devil can offer. And so don't look at yourself as a failure. If you're a parent of a child or or a, a spouse, or some kind of influence on somebody, you just double down on your prayers. Double down on your lifestyle. What is it, Lord, that I can do? What changes can I make that might influence my child, my son, my daughter, my grandchildren, my spouse to come to you? What, what can I do? The Bible says we are ambassadors for Christ. We read that as our focus verse. And God has blessed us in every way, every breath of our lives. And we have the great assurance of knowing that because of Calvary, he is the treasure we never have to part with. And one day we will carry him, or maybe we should say he will carry us into eternity. I love what Zechariah 9 says, my last verse. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. He loves us like... For like the jewels of a crown, he treasures us. They shall shine on his land, for how great is his goodness and how great is his beauty. This is going to be, this is the last message in this, and I I just want this to motivate us to never stop praying for one. We're going to talk about it some more in coming weeks, but uh, this is why. Because what we have, we want them to have. We want everyone to have. Bible says God doesn't want anyone to be lost, but all to come to repentance. And that's our goal, starting with one. Will you stand with me? Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you so much for your goodness and grace. Will you, will you prompt us? Will you uh, give us a prod? Will you uh, slap us in the back of the head when we need it and also remind us of, of, of why we're living this lifestyle so we can share it with others? Lord, that's my prayer. Keep us going in this because we know that people are dying and going to hell every day. Help us, Lord, to step in there with the gospel, with the saving knowledge and message of your Son, who is our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.